0: Hello. So I've tried recording this several times. It wasn't really working. Um, so I'm trying this again with a different kind of attitude. Uh, this is a reading of a article written by Sir John Pratt. It was published in 1951, and I'm probably going to make a few mistakes here and there. And I'm just going to have to go back in my own words. Uh, I've got chronic pain, and it kind of when I'm sitting, it builds up. I haven't been able to change my setup yet. I just wanted to do a reading of this and get it out So sorry if I'm making mistakes And I'm just I'll just go over that mistake try to make it as clear as possible So that's why I wanted to choose a more conversational tone, even though I will just be reading And uh, I'm gonna be doing this at a low volume. Hopefully it's a bit more relaxing So the forward briefly explains explains a uh, Sir John Pratt, he's an authority on China, he held appointments in the Foreign Service in China and was for 13 years advisor on Far Eastern Affairs in the Foreign Office. He was for two years head of the Far Eastern Section of the Ministry of Information. He was for 20 years the Foreign Secretary's Representative on the, University, the University's China Committee and he's now the Vice Chairman of the Board of Governors of the School of Oriental and African Studies University of London. And that's 1951. So you can see it's going to have a lot of mouthfuls here. So. Uh, do stick with me. So this is Korea, the lie that led to war, by Sir John Pratt, 1951. The leaflet, Rearmament, in the Far East, explains very briefly how the Korean War broke out. There is overwhelming evidence that Singman Man Rhee and his American supporters started the Civil War on the 25th of June, 1950 and it was in order to prevent this evidence being produced and sifted that the United States government insisted that a Security Council resolution condemning the North Koreans should be adopted the same day. The war was not manufactured, as some people make out, to safeguard British and American interests. That is the sort of stupid charge that often spoils a good case. The war had its origin in the hysterical fear that the mere word communism produces in America, And in the crime rackets and witch hunts which are a normal feature of american political life which are now employed to achieve american aims in world affairs the state department's white paper on u.s relations with china a volume of 1020 pages published in august 1949 was a public confession of the failure of the policy of backing chiang kai-shek as a barrier against the spread of communism in asia since 1945, the U.S. government had given Chiang Kai-shek $2,000 million, the whole of which had gone into the pockets of his Kuomintang officials, as well as $1,000 million worth of military supplies, the whole of which his generals had sold to the communists. During 1949, the Kuomintang administration disintegrated and Chiang Kai-shek fled to Formosa. A few months later, the party led by Mao tse gained control of the whole country, and on the first of October nineteen forty-nine established the People's Republic of China with the capital of Peking. In january nineteen fifty, Truman and Downakusen announced the new policy they had decided to adopt. Neither Formosa nor Korea would be included in the American perimeter of defense. Formosa had been restored to China in nineteen forty five In accordance with the Cairo and Potsdam declarations and the terms of the Japanese surrender. It has become once more a province of China and the US would not intervene in the civil war between the nationalists in Formosa and the communists in China. This policy was denounced by the Republicans as appeasement of communism and in a few weeks Senator McCarthy began making speeches in which he declared that the State Department was full of communists who were selling out their country. The white paper showed that the Kuomintang administration had fallen to incredible depths of corruption and incompetence and had reduced the people of China to unprecedented depths of misery and despair, but, according to McCarthy, the collapse of Chiang Kai-shek was due not to his own defects, but to the treachery of the communists in the State Department. A subcommittee of the Senate, which spent five months inquiring into these charges, declared that they represent perhaps the most nefarious campaign of half-truths and untruths in the history of this republic. For the first time in our history we have seen the totalitarian technique of the big lie employed on a sustained basis. We have seen the character of our government employees destroyed by public condemnation on the basis of gossip, distortion, hearsay, and deliberate untruths. This has been done without the slightest vestige of respect for even the most elementary rules of evidence or fair play or, indeed, common decency. We have seen an effort to inflame the American people with a wave of hysteria and fear on an unbelievable scale. The free world looked on aghast at the hysteria and unreason of the McCarthy witch hunt, but the American people believed McCarthy and the leaders of the Republican party rallied to his support. General Marshall was responsible both for the State Department and its Chinese policy, and as the economicist pointed out, he could, with his immense national prestige, have scattered the State Department traducers with a few words. Unquote. But General Marshall remained silent, and Truman soon realized that unless he capitulated McCarthy, he would lose votes in the presidential election. Quote, the moral and intellectual squalor of this period, said the New Yorker, has not been equaled in living memory, sorry, equaled in living memory, unquote. In April 1950, Foster Doles, a Republican, was appointed top consultant in the State Department and Truman gave an assurance that he would be consulted both in the formulation and the execution of foreign policy. Since then, Truman has, step by step, carried out the Republican policy in the Far East. In the latter half of June 1950, Foster Dools and the two defense chiefs went by air to Tokyo to hold a conference with MacArthur. The decisions reached were published in some detail in the press in America. MacArthur insisted and the others agreed, that America should have bases in Japan, Formosa, and Korea, from which she could dominate both China and Russia. In order to secure these bases, it would be necessary to, one, exclude China and Russia from the negotiations for a peace treaty with Japan. This was a violation of the agreement made in 1942 not to make a separate peace with any of the enemy countries. Two, cordon off Formosa and supply military aid to Chiang Kai-shek, who had fled from China in 1949. This was a violation of the Cairo-Potsdam agreements and armed aggression on what was admittedly a Chinese province. 3. Supply military aid to Syngman Rhee in South Korea against the Communists in North Korea. These decisions involved a complete reversal of the policy announced in January. And immediate action was necessary because a a plan for unifying Korea by conference and negotiation had been launched by the North Koreans and was having such success that min Rhee's government in South Korea was on the verge of internal collapse, and B the Peking government intended to drive Chiang Kai Shek out of Formosa in about three weeks' time. The Tokyo scheme might be wrecked if there were even a few days delay in obtaining the approval of the US government. The difficulty was that, only six months earlier, both Truman and Ackeson had been very emphatic that the status of Promosa had been finally settled in 1945. It was Chinese territory and the traditional American policy called for international respect for the territorial integrity of China. Ackeson, in particular, had insisted that the U.S. would not allow the 1945 decision to be upset by any lawyer's quibble about waiting for a peace treaty. It was essential, he said, to maintain in the world the belief that the Americans were decent and honorable people who, when they took a position, stuck to it and did not change by reason of transitory advantage it is not surprising therefore that on the 23rd of june don accison told a press conference in washington that the discussions in tokyo had not altered us policy as stated by president truman in january the only way out of way out of this difficulty the only way out of this difficulty was to present truman and accison with a Fate accompli. At dawn, on Sunday, the twenty fifth of June, Singman Ri launched a sudden attack which took the North Koreans by surprise. His forces crossed the thirty eighth parallel at several places and captured Haiju, some miles to the north on the road to Pyongyang. The North Koreans staged a counteroffensive, and the South Koreans threw down their arms and fled. The North Koreans then drove on across the parallel and staged a full-scale invasion of South Korea. For nearly a year, both North and South Koreans had been expecting civil war to break out, and each side was confident of victory. The American military advisory group, who had created the South Korean army, ...were convinced that one South Korean division could defeat three North Korean divisions, and Singman Rhee had often boasted. I'm just going to say this again, because I think this is very important. This is me speaking now, and now I'm going back into reading. The American military advisory group who had created the South Korean army... ...were convinced that one South Korean division could defeat three North Korean divisions... And Syngman Rhee had often boasted that if they were allowed to start, his forces could capture Pyongyang, the northern capital, in three days. These were ludicrous mal- miscalculations. Ten months later, the 6th of May, 1951, General MacArthur told a committee of the Senate what had happened. Quote, the South Koreans were no match for them at all and the disposition by the south koreans of their logistic potential was extraordinarily poor they had put their supplies and equipment close to the 38th parallel they hadn't developed any positions in depth everything between the 38th parallel and Seoul was their area of depot when they lost that immediate line they lost their supplies they were not able apparently, to destroy them en masse, so that at one initial stroke, this North Korean army had a new supply base in the area between the 38th parallel and Seoul, which enabled them to press south with the full strength of their base being immediately behind them. They no longer had to rely on the long distance from the Yalu to get their supplies down, unquote. General MacArthur's evidence contradicts at all material points the report of the United Nations military observers, which is the one document always cited as proof that the South Korean forces were taken completely by surprise. It was not an international war, but a civil war, with which the United Nations would not normally be concerned. The United States government decided, however, to treat it as an international war and to secure the condemnation of the North Koreans before any evidence could be produced and before the Soviet delegate could resume his place on the Security Council. Ambassador Muccio's report reached the State Department at 9.26pm on the 24th of June, Eastern Daylight Time, EDT, or 11.26am, 25th of June, Korean Time. And at midnight Eastern daily, uh, Daylight Time, namely 2 p.m. 25th of June, Korean time, the Secretary General telegraphed to the United Nations Commission in Seoul asking for a report. Some hours later, the Commission sent a telegram in reply stating that Min Rhee had not planned to appeal to the Security Council, but had no objection to their being informed of this latest turn of events. The telegram threw no light on the origin of the fighting, but merely stated that each side accused the other. At the urgent request of the U.S. government, the Security Council met at Lake Success at 2 p.m. EDT, Eastern Daylight Time, the same day. The U.S. delegates said that the facts were set out in the commission's telegram, and that this government considered that this, quote, This wholly illegal and unprovoked attack by the North Korean forces constitutes a breach of the peace and an act of aggression." The Yugoslav delegate protested that the evidence before them did not enable the Council to decide which was the guilty party, but he received no support. The American resolution was adopted and the North Koreans were condemned unheard. This monstrous act of injustice was rendered possible by the subservient attitude of the British delegate and the absence from the Security Council of both China and Russia. On the 13th of January 1950, the Security Council decided that the delegate from Formosa should be accepted as the representative of China. The British delegate abstained from voting, but the Russian delegate protested against China's exclusion from the United Nations And refused to attend any further meetings of the security council he maintained that valid decisions could not be taken so long as china was prevented from occupying the permanent seat on the security council to which she was entitled if other countries and especially great britain had had the moral courage to adopt the same policy there would have been no korean war but in the event it merely meant that in the absence of a russian delegate On the 25th of June, the United States was able to secure the condemnation of the North Koreans. Mr. Malik resumed his seat on the 1st of August, but by then, the United Nations had been drawn into the Korean War. On 27th of June, before the next meeting of the Security Council, President Truman announced that he had sent the 7th Fleet to Kordanoff, Formosa, alleging as his pretext that the Korean War was proof that, Communism had begun to use armed invasion and war to conquer independent countries, A year later, on the 5th of July, 1951, the Chicago Tribune published an editorial under the heading, Truman's Fear, Not the Reds, but Depression. The contention of this article was that the burden of armaments had been imposed on the world, not from genuine fear of communist aggression, but in order to relieve the American economy of its nightmare dread of depression. No reports from any quarter prove that Russia has any intention within the foreseeable future of embarking on a general war. On the 28th of June, Chao Enlai, the foreign minister of the Peking government, declared that the US had instigated Seaman Rhee to attack the North Koreans in order to create a pretext for sending the 7th Fleet to Formosa an act which he denounced as armed aggression against Chinese territory. On the twenty-ninth of June, Don Akson made an attempt to answer this accusation. In a speech to the annual convention of the New American Newspapers Guild in Washington, he declared that the Securities Council's resolution of 25th of June condemning the North Koreans had been adopted within 20 hours after hearing the report of the UN Commission labeling the Communist in Action an unprovoked act of aggression. This calculated lie has formed the basis of all subsequent accounts of the origin of the Korean War. After the condemnation of the North Koreans, attempts were made to find evidence and arguments to support the American case. We were asked to believe, one, that Soviet Russia had launched her puppet, North Korea, against the South Koreans at the moment when there was no Russian delegate on the Security Council. 2. That the North Koreans started a civil war at the moment when their own unification by conference plan was on the point of succeeding. 3. That this plan was intended solely for its screening effect. and 4. That it was a mere coincidence that the civil war happened to break out at the very moment when MacArthur was urgently in need of a pretext for cordoning off Formosa. A year later, when Atkinson was asked to explain how it was that fifty-one Chinese nationalists residing in America had made a profit of thirty million dollars by cornering the market in soybeans just before the Korean War broke out. He replied that this had created a serious situation, but that it was a matter that concerned the Department of Agriculture. We were also told that the report of the United Nations military observers proved that it must have been the North Koreans who began the war, but no doubt through inadvertence this myth has been exploded by General MacArthur's evidence quoted above. In any case, all that the report of the military observers proved was that neither side seemed to be expecting an immediate outbreak of hostilities paragraph eight of the report which showed that the north koreans were not preparing to attack was omitted from the version published in the british white paper laid before parliament the white paper also suppressed the united nations telegram from Seoul of 25th june which would have shown that the north koreans were condemned unheard on a charge for which no evidence has ever been produced. Attempts were also made <laughs> to ally the anxiety aroused both in England and America by the prospect of being involved in war in Korea. We were assured that what the United Nations were being asked to undertake was a defensive police action in order to restore the position as it was before the 25th of June, and that there would be no crossing of the 38th parallel. If that promise had been kept, it would have made it difficult for the United States to include Korea within the American perimeter of defense. Korea could not be used as a base from which to bomb and menace China and Russia until the Syngmenry government had been established in control of North Korea. General MacArthur was appointed Supreme Commander of the United Nations Forces and on the 15th of July, President Rhee assigned to him command authority over all South Korean land, sea, and air forces. I'm sorry, let me say that again because it catches me by surprise. General MacArthur was appointed Supreme Commander of the United Nations Forces and on the 15th of July President Rhee of korea assigned to him an american command authority over all south korean land sea and air forces on the first of october the south korean forces were sent across the 38th parallel and on the 9th of october they were followed by the rest of the forces under general macarthur's command on the 13th of October, General MacArthur had a conference with President Truman, who flew to Wake Island for the purpose. With the elections three off, three weeks off, he was anxious. We were told to pluck at least a branch of the laurels of the Korean victory. In the minutes of the conference, which were made public five months later, it is recorded that General MacArthur expressed concern at the opposition in the United Nations to President Rhee, to which President Truman replied, we must make it plain that we are supporting the re-government, and propaganda can go to hell. The public have been told that General MacArthur was authorized to cross the 30th parallel by the General Assembly resolution of the 7th October 1950. That is quite untrue. Pandit Nehru warned the Assembly that, Faith in the United Nations might be impaired if the United Nations were even to appear to authorize unification of Korea by the use of force against North Korea, after the organization had resisted the attempt of North Korea to unify the country by force against South Korea. But by the 7th of October, the 38th parallel had already been crossed, and the South Korean army, under General MacArthur's supreme command, was advancing on a broad front to the port of Wonsan, 100 miles to the north. Faced with a fait accompli, the General Assembly passed a resolution which declared that United Nations forces should not remain in any part of Korea longer than necessary. It obliquely recognized, but it did not authorize, the use of force against North Korea. The account given in the British white paper has led the public to believe that two separate armies were operating in Korea and that the army under General MacArthur's command began its advance across the 38th parallel after the General Assembly had passed the resolution of the 7th of October. No mention is made of the fact that Syngman Rhee placed all the South Korean forces under General MacArthur's command and that General MacArthur in accepting this arrangement wrote quote, it cannot fail to increase the coordinated power of the united nations forces operating in korea unquote. we allowed ourselves to be tricked into participating in general macarthur's invasion of north korea and we share the responsibility for the miseries the invasion inflicted on the people of korea according to a recent united nations report out of a total population in north korea of nine million 1 million have been slaughtered and some 4 million have fled from their homes southward to escape the obliteration bombing. The Manchester Guardian's comment was that this shows what a popular government they had in North Korea. The MacArthur policy called for military aid to Chiang Kai-shek as well as to Syngman Rhee. In August MacArthur paid a visit to Formosa and made it known to all the world that his aim was to restore Chiang Kai-shek to power in China. On the 30th of September, when the United Nations forces were standing on the 38th parallel, Chow and Lai gave warning that the Peking government could not stand idly by if they invaded North Korea. This was regarded as a bluff. North Korea was invaded then, ignoring British protests, macarthur made a headlong rush to the yalu river before long he ran into stiff opposition and was forced to make another headlong rush this time back to the 38th parallel and it was not until about the first week in january 1951 that the tide turned again in the favor of the forces under his command we are still being asked to believe that china's intervention in north korea was an act of aggression wv purcell lecturer in far eastern history and cambridge university writes as follows quote, the press generally speaking asks its reader to see in Korea the unmistakable signs of Soviet aggression China they say at the instigation of Russia has unwarrantably intervened in Korea to undo the police work of the United Nations no one who has studied the situation can believe that there is a vestige of evidence for this charge The fact is that China has reacted in the face of MacArthur's provocation in an extremely logical and expected way. Chinese intervention intervention came only after a disregarded warning and an exhibition of forbearance. Thus, Korea ceased to be a local issue once for all. And the United Nations and the United States in particular became, to Asia at least, the aggressor. It is hard to believe that MacArthur did not, and does not now, seek a world war, unquote. On the 10th of January, 1951, a memorandum demanding that China be branded as an aggressor was circulated by the State Department to 22 nations. The discussions at Lake Success during the next three weeks make painful reading. Walter Litwin expressed the hope that the United States was capable of something better than the futile rages of a frustrated child, unquote. and even the economist, complain that quote, American policy seems now to have taken the shape of issuing peremptory instructions to the United Nations by congressional resolution, and then flying into a temper when they are not immediately obeyed. Unquote. It seemed that America was deliberately seeking an extension of hostilities. Nevertheless, on the first of February, 1951. The resolution branding China an aggressor was adopted by the General Assembly. This shameful resolution presented Stalin with a case which neither Truman nor Attlee made any attempt to answer. In February 1951, Stalin declared that, quote, The United Nations, created as a bulwark for preserving peace, is being turned into an instrument of war. Unquote. It was the representatives, he said, of the ten member countries of the North Atlantic Pact. And the 20 Latin American countries, quote, who carried the shameful decision on the aggression of the Chinese People's Republic, unquote, but it is difficult to conceive the soldiers sent to fight in Korea that the United States is entitled to defend its security on the territory of Korea and at the frontiers of China, whereas China and Korea have no right to defend their security on their own territory or at the frontiers of China. Up to the end of the 18th century, China was a great and well-ordered empire, to whom the people of Asia looked up as the founded head, looked up as the fountainhead of civilization. There followed a century of decay. During the last 30 years there has been a crisis of rejuvenation, culminating 2 years ago in the recovery by China of her former proud position with prestige enhanced by an officialdom that is completely incorruptible and an army under perfect discipline. All this is familiar to those who deal with Far Eastern affairs, but any American who states these facts is in danger of being labeled communist and being made the victim of a witch hunt. General Marshall finds it prudent to declare that China has been virtually conquered by Russia, and from President Truman downward, no one dares deny that Mao is a puppet of Stalin and China a tool of Soviet aggression. There is something rather ludicrous, ludicrous in the claim these men make, that their country is the leader of the free world. They should bear in mind the words of Euripides, This is true liberty, when free-born men, having to advise the public, may speak free, which he who can and will deserves high praise, who neither can nor will may hold his peace. What can be juster in a state than this? The new China, unlike the China of Chiang Kai-shek, will not submit to being menaced from places like Formosa and Korea and, rather than submit, will go on fighting till the end of time. This is not yet understood in America, nor have Americans abandoned their faith in the ignoble slogan All Age Short of War. It was an unpleasant shock when American soldiers, as well as arms and money, had to be sent to aid Sigmund Rhee in his civil war against the North Koreans. It may be some years, therefore, before it is realized that, so long as the United States maintain their present attitude towards the communist world, so long will they have to send American soldiers to fight in Asia. When this has seeped into the minds of the American people, then, and not tell them, will it be possible to reestablish a civilized world order founded on the principles, the comity, of nations so if you stick with me um, thank you very much and uh, I thought I might just go through some of the appendix and just a brief summary of what I think this explains Uh, his last points you know about the, the ignorance about China its historical prominence its loss of prestige and its attempt to reestablishment is still true today. People still today do not recognize the history of China and the simplicity that, communist or not communist, China, of course, will seek to reassert the power it always had and that in Asia, it's always played a prominent role. And if you wanted to statistically put this to a graph by population or economy it would be clear as day. It would be unarguable. And again, a mind experiment were communist or not communist, it would still seek to reassort the order that it has had for two thousand years. But what I really find revealing about this is the fact that Singman Ray, unpopular to the whole of the United Nations, had to be almost singularly propped up by America. Its armies were completely under the command of an American commander. An American commander who said out loud, documented, that it is about protecting the American perimeter and that they will need bases in Formosa, in Korea, and Japan. It is Simply seen that it is in the advantage of that policy for North Korea to be under the establishment of Syngman Rhee's government that had to be singularly propped up by the American government to survive and Whatever you want to read about the act of aggression on the 25th of June 1951 of whoever it was North Korea or South Korea what I get from this art, this article, sorry, is that why would it be advantageous when the policy of unification by conference is successful, successful to the point of popular disillusion of the South Korean government? Why would it be on the same time frame as when the Americans would want to establish an aggression in Formosa to restore Chiang Kai-shek? In the same window of pressure, why would it be in an environment where both North Korea and South Korea did not expect to resume hostilities anytime soon? My hypothesis would be that it was because a foreign aggressor, of the United States, pushed South Korea, whose forces are, if not yet officially, already very much under the direction of the United States, and that the United States used the United Nations as a tool of war and you can filter that through your own present moment but um, I don't necessarily know the facts on the makeup of the armies in this conflict but I am quite definite that it was mainly Americans and not very much an equal effort and here's one more point that I think I'll make before just going through the appendix is the The thing that isn't pointed out a lot today, well, the Korean War isn't pointed out a lot today, but uh, even more lost is that anxiety of depression. Truman was fear-stricken by another depression. And doesn't that make so much sense? The war in Korea that expended so many bombs, so much American operation, unmatched if north korea was supposedly so under the control of china and the soviets when in the course of the war they barely even had aircraft and if the soviets were so set on their war machine you certainly would have seen the full might of the red army there but you saw millions of koreans dying for their country with bare bare support matched to the us and wouldn't it make so much sense that in the fear of depression with an already built war machine That's organized by capitalists that creates money for those capitalists that that war would be a massive expenditure. Of ammunition. Of vehicles of transportation and a whole slew of materials provided and profit reaped by the same capitalists in the US. Here we see the creation of the war machine. The military-industrial complex as it is called so here's a few things from the appendix new york times first of august 1950 the senate voted 2 trillion 450 billion to carry forward the marshall plan for the economic rec- reconstruction of the western empire impu- sorry oof, for the economic rec- reconstruction of western europe It warned that 16 beneficiary nations, that those refusing to help the United States fight the United Nations battle Korea might lose all martial aid. Two trillion dollars, mind you, 70 years ago, was hanged over the heads of countries demolished by one of the worst wars in human history. Why would you not join the Korean War when it's literally the reconstruction of your nation? at stake house of lords 21st november 1951 the marquet of reading those who profess to doubt whether UNO has any reality need surely look no further than korea where forces from 16 different nations are arranged under united nations commander defeat just the kind of aggression that the united nations organization was created to resist so this is in relation to the statement or something that is often cited about the korean war about this you know unanimous uh Supposedly unanimous consent of the world to forcefully destroy the North Korean government and reunify it. Which is the whole reason why they were supposedly in Korea, because they would not allow North Korea to do the same. House of Lords, 21st of November, 1951. Viscount Samuel. Oh, sorry. The previous, it's the Marquis of Reading, not Reading. Viscount Samuel the sections of the United Nations Charter that arrange for contingents to be furnished when military action is necessary were of great value in the case of Korea, and swift and effective action was in fact taken under the magnificent leadership of the United States. Um, take that. Take that one as you want. Washington Post, 11 November 1951. There has been heavily public pressure to use atomic weapons in Korea, and congressional agitation has been growing in recent weeks. This will probably increase. For the notion of annihilating the red chinese and north korean enemy with an atomic inferno is an appealing one that's quite horrible appendix two all right i think these are some corrections so i'm going to run through these and that'll be the end after this pamphlet has had been sent to the printer further information summarized below received by airmail from new york it leaves no reasonable doubt that syngman reed began the civil war with this sudden attack on north korea it seems probable that the truth can be suppressed no longer even in america hey MacArthur's HQ in Tokyo, which maintained a reportial unit in Korea, relayed a report to Washington in March 1950 that South Korea would be invaded by June. But this report was dismissed in two subsequent telegrams of 10th of March and 25th of March, stating that there would be no civil war in Korea this spring or summer. The most probable course of North Korean action is furtherance of the attempts to overthrow the South Korean government by the creation of chaotic conditions through guerrilla activities and psychological warfare, a.k.a. a civil war, where the civilians all want one Korean nation and are constantly in a conflict to establish that. Again, North Korea, South Korea, no different national identity. Everyone thinking everyone is a Korean who wants to live Mm -hmm. in Korea. That's it. That is not guerrilla activity. That is not psychological warfare. That is civilians themselves. That's the thing. You can't say there's North Koreans in South Korea when when a Korean in South Korea wants there to be one Korean government and thinks the communists have the better way or doesn't support the imperialist pressure of the United States. You cannot say that person is North Korean, they are a Korean. B. The Assistant Secretary of State John D. Hickerson stated to the Senate Appropriations Committee that the attack came without warning, but admitted under cross-examination that the State Department had done some thinking about it, he planned to take it to the UN for immediate action, we had a skeleton of a resolution, but only in very rough form. C. New York Times, 31st of July 1950. On the 30th of july an intelligence staff officer on general macarthur's hq at tokyo said that the north korean army had not carried out its full mobilization plan at the time the war began on the 25th of june that only six full divisions had been ready for combat when the invasion started although the north korean war plan called for 13 to 15. so why would they launch invasion when in their own war plans they demanded a lot more divisions than six D. In December issue of the Cosmopolitan General Willoughby, General MacArthur's chief of intelligence writes of the attack as an alleged surprise. It says the entire South Korean army had been alerted for weeks and was in a position along the 38th parallel. Take the claim as you will. Um, it would seem that everyone would constantly be on alert for an invasion, but I'm guessing they mean this over the already baseline alert. E. John Gunther was in Tokyo in June 1950, gathering material for his book about MacArthur. On the 25th of June, he was lunching with two important members of the occupation when one was called to the phone and came back and whispered, A big story has just broken. The South Koreans have attacked North Korea. So take those as you will. Um, I am sure there are uh, mistakes in this article, but I thought it was an interesting piece. Thank you.